Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from Atlantic State Journal and Detroit Free Press, focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and producer. Joining me this week, as always, Detroit Free Press, Michigan State beat writer Chris Solari, Atlantic State Journal, sports columnist Graham Couch. Guys, it has been a uh, very interesting week. Uh, Michigan, Michigan State football always brings the uh, worst out of everybody, and I would probably say that Saturday was uh, the culmination of that, and uh, the Spartans, of course, have another game coming up in two days at uh, 14th-ranked Illinois, but I don't think that's what anybody's still talking about that at the moment, and maybe we'll, maybe we'll cover that in a little bit, but let's just... You know, start with everything that happened uh, post game. Uh, you guys have had a busy past couple of days with uh, everything that happened there. Whatever you want to call an altercation, you want to call it violence, you want to call it a fight, uh, whatever phrase or word that you're using, uh, it was just uh, not a great look uh, to to what was at least for a half a very competitive uh, football game. And uh, let me kind of set the table here for what happened Saturday night. Um, as it stands right now, eight. Michigan State football players have been suspended. That is cornerback Malcolm Jones, cornerback Justin White, defensive end Jacoby Winmon, defensive end Brandon Wright, defensive back Angelo Gross, defensive end Zion Young, defensive end Itavian Brown, and defensive back Kari Crump. Uh, after two separate altercations uh, in the Michigan uh, Stadium tunnel, and the two Michigan players involved were defensive back Jaden McBurrows and defensive back Jamon Green. Chris, I am going to start with you since you were you know, in the middle of everything that happened in the tunnel there at Michigan Stadium Saturday night. And uh, I'm just going to kind of let you go off from here, kind of just get out what you uh, kind of want to get out and talk about. Yeah, um, I think a lot of what uh, I, I posted in the story, um, the first person account to f- the freep.com, um, which it, it's not that's not a moment of comfortability when you're writing that. Uh, a first person situation that you were in as a journalist. Um, that was, uh, you know, that was something that when, when you get involved in a situation like this, where, you know, there's, there's a, a criminal investigation and a number of other things, um, you know, is, as a reporter, you go through, first of all, you, you check with your highest editors and you check with your legal counsel. Uh, for how to proceed in those moments. So um, a lot of what I wrote, or I should say all of what I wrote in that, um, you know, is basic what I witnessed, Um, you know, and that was where I was standing um, was right there. I mean, the guys bumped into me um, and, you know, then it was just as quickly as they were up against me, they went back out into the hallway and, you know, it was a moment where you just didn't, you know, you, you were in the moment, you weren't thinking about safety at that point, you were doing your job and your role and responsibility. And, you know, we had 
been standing there and knew that there was a security guard there. We knew there was a police officer there. Um, and they really did nothing. So, you know, it, that kind of, kind of leaves you in that moment. But, you know, when the, when the, I guess you call it a fight kind of surged by us and surged into us. I mean, you can see, uh, I, I saw three players, uh, involved in it from my vantage point. Um, and that was Zion Young, Angelo Gross, and, uh, and the, the uh, Octavian Brown, sorry, Tank Brown, um, you know, Tank Brown was the one who kind of came into the hallway with us. And that's when we realized that there was a player, another player down there for Michigan. And, you know, that was, you know, in those moments you saw that that's really what you saw. Cause it was so quick and fast and furious. And you did see that where I was standing, I was able to see the punching and kicking. Um, then you watch back the video. And I think that's a, that's a separate thing as a reporter, you know, you start watching back the video evidence that was there. And that's where you could see some of the other guys like Justin White and, and Brandon Wright uh, push down the Michigan player. And then you start to see the other s- situation that happened on the other side of the tunnel with Jamon Green, uh, the Michigan player who, you know, he and, and McBurrows came up from another video that we saw from the field um, you know, working their way into the Michigan State players, which again, you know, how that happened after uh, two weeks after the situation between Michigan and and Penn State. I mean, how security allowed that to happen? I don't know, but you know, this is a case where se- where security cannot be window dressing. And I've said this multiple times this week to people. Um, you can't say you're hiring extra security. You can't say you're bringing in more police officers, and then have them not be in the proper position, not knowing what could trigger an instance like that. Um, and, and quite frankly, you know, that should have been of the utmost of priority of preventing both of those teams from intermingling in those moments after the game. Um, before the game, halftime and after the game, there's three moments that the, that should have been heavily in secu- scrutinized and security-wise. But, um, yeah, so what happened between when you see them go into the tunnel, uh, when when McBurrows and Jamon Green disappear into the tunnel, and then when we were at the top of the the tunnel in the the hallway leading to the media room, um, where the the big surge of the fight came by us, um, what happened in that twenty five yard stretch up there that probably took them about thirty seconds or so. Uh, it, it's still unclear. Um, you know, we were in a spot closest to where we needed to be. So whatever happened on that far side of the tunnel with Jamon Green, um, just watching a lot of the videos and a lot of the timelines, it seemed like that was kind of the trigger point for what everything happened from there. Graham, what is kind of your reaction to, to at least everything that we know at this point regarding uh, with the Michigan State players? You know, he, he mentioned Gross and Young and, and Brown and, uh, I think Kari Crump is involved also in some capacity, you know, whether it was. Yeah, that was on the opposite him. side from where I was. Kari Crump and Jacoby Winman, um, you know, those two guys were on the other side of the tunnel. As, and actually, Brendan Wright started on that other side of the tunnel and came across to where we were uh, on after watching video of it. I mean, at this point, I think Michigan State's done what it had to do. I think it was smart to uh, – 
get ahead of this in terms of, you know, you're not waiting for a police investigation or anything like that. That's uh, you know, there's enough evidence on uh, video for there to be accountability and to sort of remove those players from the equation. And um, it allows you to begin to move forward and give your team a chance to redefine the end of its season a little bit. Um, you know, it, it, this is a thing that's going to linger, obviously, because there's a police investigation. Because you know the outside world smells a little blood in the water right now, and and is um, and that's with any situations when, especially when you're facing a rival. Um, and so I think MSU's handled it well since the incident, which they obviously handled poorly. <laughs> they, yeah. they, what, what happened should not have happened. Um, but I, I think one of the things that is is we start to get away from this. I mean, there is a lot of a lot of ugliness in this rivalry right now. There's a lot of heat. Temperature needs to come down for sure. I think there needs to be introspection by uh, the people involved uh, in the rivalry, by fans, by uh, writers, by sycophant lawyers, uh, by everybody who has, uh, you know, and, you know, and everybody's role in it is different. For, for Ward Manuel and Alan Haller and NEAD across the country, right now you're looking at situations to make sure this can't happen in your tunnel. What's your post-game situation? Logistically, this shouldn't happen. Uh, Michigan's setup isn't good. It, it's just not. It's not just the one tunnel. It's where it's how narrow it is, and it's how where the two locker rooms are in the tunnel that creates. It, what's just as bad as that is that this shouldn't have happened in this game when it happened two weeks earlier. And, I mean, sure. James Franklin can't manage the end of a game, but he predicted this would happen. I mean that's that's as plain as that is, that's as clear of evidence that this would have, you know, this was a a situation in that tunnel that that could cause problems if James Franklin can point it out. Right. So everybody's got a different thing. I mean, you know, we we all, for our own self interest, play into this a little bit. And um, you know, and, and I'm not saying you shouldn't write about the rivalry. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with snark that comes from the players. I I enjoy that. I think what. Mike Hart did originally and, and, and Mark D'Antonio's response and all that stuff, even the, 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 you know, putting the, 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 the Bolden uh, planting of the flag in 2014. Steak. It was a stake or whatever tent, it was. That, a tent that, that, that is, that's all fair. That's all rivalry stuff. You know, it came back to bite them that day, but what's happened now is it's gotten so ugly on social media and we can only dream that Elon Musk will screw up Twitter to the point that it doesn't exist. But um, and that will help things. But short of that, I, I think people need to sort of look inward and, and say, and this concludes Jim Harbaugh, who I don't think has helped things with sort of the pushing for charges. And I don't want to get into whataboutisms with Jim Harbaugh. I'm not a huge Jim Harbaugh fan. That has nothing to do with this situation. And it has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, he's had other things, you know, within his own program and glass houses and all that stuff. N nothing to do with that. I just, I think, I only care about how people treat other people. And there was some incidents early in his tenure there where he was very dismissive of uh, other human beings who might or may not have been reporters who were in his presence. And, and, and that stuff bothers me. It always will. It bothers me about Jim Delaney. And, and I, I, I struggle to get past that because I think that says something about your character. But that's not the issue here. The issue here is, you know, until he has all the information, which he does not have, um, and I'm not saying it will reveal anything for sure different, but the, the charges will take care of themselves. And so I, I do wish that part would be toned down a little bit. I think if there are, if what we've seen on video is what is entirely, then then charges are probably you know warranted. But that'll take care of itself. 
Um, but I, yeah, I think everybody in every realm has to, and I think people are. I mean, you, you listen to even some of these sort of fan media corners that that, that push us. And look, there are a lot of pompous jerks still still on on social media right now. But there are also people who have fun with this, like to take it to a real edge, and are also starting to say, oh, "This this is this is too much. Like this this needs to get to a healthier place." And I think I think there will be a concerted effort to do that going forward. You know, you mentioned uh, with the video, it's it. I think it's important to say a couple things. One, you know, particularly where we were, it, it's hard to kind of gauge in that big kind of kind of uh, wave of, of players that come by who was involved in the altercation, who got caught up in the swirl of what was happening, and I think the other thing is who was trying to diffuse it and. You know, I, I, the two guys that I think, because, in a, you know, we, when you get into a situation like this, you're so focused on the fighting that sometimes, and the altercations, that sometimes you don't, you know, give enough credit and praise to a guy like Derek Harmon and Kendall Brooks, who pulled Kari Crump out of there. Because it could have got a lot uglier. And, and Derek Harmon grabbed Crump lovingly by the head and, you know, shoulder, arm around the shoulder, and then Kendall Brooks helped push him down the hallway, um, you know, after, you know, the incident where, you know, if you watch the video, you can see a helmet being swung uh, by, you know, allegedly by Crump, but if you watch it, you see that he swings it. But those two guys, I thought, did a, a tremendous job, but, you know, that's the, the biggest person in that tunnel at that moment was Derek Harmon, so he wasn't getting caught up and pushed in a swirl. Right. So, I mean, but you see a lot of the guys that that did get over. I mean, I think I counted 16 guys in a, in and around uh, the McBurrows situation. I want to be clear about that. There were 16 guys around there, but that those 16 guys weren't involved in that. That was that was literally a there were guys that were caught up into it. You know, guys like Jaden Reed and Daniel Barker got pushed down the hallway by us. And got out of, you know, Jaden Reed quickly got out of there after that happened. Tyrell Henry got pushed by us and got out of there. So, I mean, you know, it, it, these it, this is, I think, partly why, you know, both the, the universities and the Big Ten are having such an issue. Because those videos, you know, you can't, like the, the video released by ABC, you can't see that part at all. Because of there's, I, I think, the, the uh, padding from the goalpost were placed literally right in front of where we were, like down the hallway from where we were between the interview room and the locker room. So that obscures what we were seeing from the hallway. You know, so if, if you would have, if the police would have gone just by this and not by the reporter's video that Matt Charbonneau and Kyle Austin had from their vantage points, um, they wouldn't even have known that there was another situation beyond the Jamon Green and, uh, Kari Crump and Jacoby Winman altercation. So you're trying to process a lot of things and, and solve a, and figure out a lot of, you know, along with the biggest question of what started it and what precipitated it, because I think that's where that can be a difference in what you, what we've been seeing on the video, because what we see is the reaction. We don't see the trigger, right? And if the trigger is set, 
by the trigger could be set by either team in that moment. Um, and until we figure that out, you know, all we have to deal with right now is the, the stuff that is on video. We talked about, well, we didn't really talk about it, but do we think there are any solutions to any of this at all? Um, absolutely. Okay. Well, I mean, absolutely. So, is, so here's, so let me float, float a couple of things here. Uh, I, even I'm kind of guilty of this. You know, I, I tweeted earlier this week, something about maybe it'd be best for this series to maybe pause for a little bit. I said five years. I think that's a little, I think even if that, in a real situation where we, that would actually happen, that's probably a little too long. Uh, I saw someone pointed out that when Cincinnati and Xavier got into a brawl during basketball, they, the next two years of their games were played on neutral courts, and that's probably something I would maybe maybe that's worth considering in terms of uh, maybe play this. Maybe at four, I saw for the photo at Ford Field is like uh, I could see that playing at Ford Field, although I don't know how much that would help. I'm sure there'd be plenty of fans there, and maybe the tensions would still be the same. But um, what going forward? I mean, what I mean, I don't think the series is going to pause. But what do you think? Uh, what do you think? Oh, I know. Be it done? Won't. Right, right, right. <laughs> There's no chance that that will pause because right. that is a tremendous revenue generating home game for both universities and both communities i mean it's that in and of itself me you know that won't go away it needs yeah, to we're, be, we're, but but that's know. an important point though because we are captive to the money i mean it is true it's yep. not going away but that puts it back on us right like like if you're mel tucker if you're jim harbaugh if you're anybody getting paid well by these universities because of the money all this generates, it heightens the responsibility you have to this. Like you may say, yes. well, I'm just doing this, I'm just doing this. But but if it wasn't for being prisoners to the money, you could absolutely walk away from this for two years and make people appreciate it again. That'll never happen. I'm just saying, but we have to we have to recognize that being beholden to television, being beholden to the money, I think escalates the responsibility people have to it. I, I think there's there's political pressures that would come with that as well. I don't think it's just solely. I think that's the the, mon- the monetary aspect of it is a is a large driving force. But I think there's also political factors that this wouldn't go away in in and of itself. But I, this goes back to the point I was making earlier about security as window dressing. I mean, plain and simple, it can't happen. I mean, you can't have you know a, a reporter on national television bragging about how michigan has additional security and that additional security then all of a sudden does nothing and isn't in the proper places at the proper times i mean there's no reason for if, if you're if your your construct is that narrow tunnel and long walk up it there's no reason there isn't a buffer of security and police officers between the two teams and a delay of for both for both teams to go up there's no reason that those two teams should be in a tunnel there's no reason they should be there together and wherever it has to be you know that's the logistics that that needs to be figured out from michigan's end because you can't have your own players going in there and you know whether or not it was instigated by those players we don't know but it becomes a moment where it can happen whenever uh, 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 two teams have just finished uh, a, a hard game and there's emotions involved. So that's something that has to be policed by by the security that's there, uh, but also by the, the, the coaches and players. I mean, you can't have coaches and players standing in 
on the, the field yelling at each other and waving to the other team and, and exacerbating things that, you know, from that level too. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of moments I think that need to be really kind of, kind of looked at again. Um, you know, I, I go back to the Devin Bush thing too, because it, you know, that was a moment where, it, you know, I, again, I got to the stadium three hours early and, and people joke about that, but you know, if I'm not there three hours early, I don't have my camera set up to take video of it because as soon as I got there and saw Michigan players out there warming up, I, I told an MSU staffer, I said, did Michigan state already do their walk? And I missed it. And they, he said, no, I said, well, that's going to be a problem. And if I'm sitting here three hours advance, seeing two players or four players from the other team on the field, knowing that it's going to cause a problem, then somebody else should realize this. I'm not, I'm not a security expert, but these are two moments that were plain as day. Something was going to happen when you see players go into the other team. Yeah. And I think that, I think the Devin Bush thing was also like a, one part of what's been like a, a culmination of things that have happened over the past decade. You know, I know obviously we all know about the Mike Hart and uh, D'Antonio stuff. And then, then you look at, uh, just I would say just general you know D'Antonio Tucker and Harbaugh all chirping at each other constantly in the press and, and social media and then that happens I'm just, and then you know everything else that happens they, and you just kind of it just kind of all has built up to to what happened this past Saturday is all I was trying to trying to say yeah that should be the fun of the rivalry though right, and, and right, we right. we frankly is, is is and I think the the heat gets escalated for two things outside of it um you know the social media feeds off it maybe is there are sectors of the fan base that really can't handle it. But I think a couple things have happened here that are important. One is that for, for, for decades, Michigan state football wasn't really threatening to Michigan. So it was, you know, it was occasionally an annoyance. They'd win every, every four or five years. And it was a big deal in East Lansing and it would be annoying to Michigan, but it wasn't really something that occupied them. Uh, Michigan state also hated it, but understood its place and whatever. Two things have happened now that that's changed, and Michigan and its fans are much more heightened and aware, and and uh, you know, pushing back and engaged. That's that's escalated the heat, and then you have a Michigan State fan base and program that can never go back to being what it once was, but you just can't accept it. So now you have two programs that 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 sort of demand being in control of the rivalry, and cannot stand that the other one is is right there either still looking down at them or pushing back and whatever it is that is that is a component that is new um that is not just social media based that is i think on the field competitive base that is that is ultimately kind of cool in the rivalry that it's much more i mean i remember when i and here's people's opportunity to drink to listen to this podcast when i worked in kalamazoo and covered western michigan i wrote a column about how the Western central rivalry was the best two sided rivalry in the state. And I wasn't wrong at the time. I, this was like late, you know, late 2000, 2009, something in there because it is, it, the venom is similar. There aren't as many people, but it was truly two sided. And back then Michigan, Michigan state really wasn't yet a two sided rivalry the way it is now in football. And, and so I think that is, that is definitely, it is legitimately something that is, under uh, the uh, Michigan fans and uh, Michigan's program skin, Michigan State has done that. They've done the work to get there, but that that changes the dynamic a little bit. It doesn't, you know, the tunnel thing though is so many things. 
that that what drives me nuts about all this, and, and Chris gets to all you need to do with the the, the barrier the barriers and preventing this. You can have everything that's going on and the heat that goes on, and have the chirping on the field and the the, the snarkiness and the you know in the in the post games and pre games, and and yes, it needs to be tempered down, especially on social media and fan bases need to get a hold of it. But all you need is some decent, simple logic and le- with with logistics, and that drives me insane because I love logistics. I do not understand why this is a problem. I, and I think, like, I'm offended that it's a problem. Like, like this should not be a problem. It would drive me, like, it, it, it to me, it's a 10-minute fix if I went down there and ran the logistics of the post game for Michigan. And Michigan should be offended that it has a logistical problem there. Um, this, is, this is just ridiculous. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't excuse anything that Michigan State players did or anything that happened in that time. Correct, correct, correct. But that situation shouldn't have been allowed to occur either. And that's yeah. an easy fix, and that's something they can remedy. Especially when it's three times in the last seven home games for in that same tunnel. I mean, with the Ohio State game last year and then Penn State two weeks earlier. I mean, you know, it's, it, it is kind of... You know, when you look at the the totality of it in in the rivalry, um, you know, it's taken a lot more of kind of that Auburn uh, Alabama feel, which gets very toxic. You know, especially in you know that previous decade when Auburn was you know right there with Alabama, you know, in the top three or five, and you had people, you had fans poisoning trees and just all kind of stupid madness that that goes you know goes beyond sophomoric um hijinks of a rivalry um you know i i think you kind of when you have teams that are competitive like that like this michigan state michigan rivalry has been for 15 years now um it does change that and i think it changes you know i think graham you put it pretty well i mean you know those those it was always an anomaly um you know in 93 and 95 and 99 um those were anomalies you know even though if if you go back i mean really since since 1990 it's been a fairly even rivalry um but a lot of times it was michigan state winning when they didn't have a season beyond that game um you know 99 was the first time really that Michigan State had big things to play for in, in that year that they played where Plexico Burris had the big game. And that was kind of a taste of what that was kind of almost like a, a taste of what would happen with when Mark D'Antonio took over, you know, because then you start getting those games that are, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're these games matter for the top of the bowl positioning in the conference and Michigan State when they started winning and having bigger seasons, you know, 10 win seasons, you know, the Michigan game was pivotal for something beyond just beating Michigan. And that's been, you know, for 15 years now, that's, that's been the case. And for most of that, you know, most times it's been like that previous, you know, prior to that under Perlis and really Bobby Williams and, and John L Smith and everybody before that, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It wasn't, it wasn't, there wasn't more at stake beyond just beating your rival. A lot of times for Michigan state where now in the last 15 years, that, there's a lot more at stake in the national scope that I think kind of you can pair it and and say it's in some ways like that that Auburn Alabama 
rivalry was, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and one thing I did want to say too, just with, with everything that's going on, I know people have, uh, you know, they can't understand the suspensions and, and some of that, but, you know, I give, I I'm with you, Graham, about giving Michigan state and Mel Tucker credit for acting swiftly. But I think Alan Haller also doesn't get enough of, uh, enough credit, you know, as a former police officer, you know, I think it's important to understand he understands the process of reviewing evidence. And, you know, I don't think they're they're acting uh, to borrow a phrase from from Peyton Thorne. They're not acting all willy nilly with this. I mean, they're they're going off what they what he sees as a former police officer as being problematic. And, you know, that they were able to do that and gather it from a couple different videos. I think that's that that speaks volumes to, to the job that they've done with with him and Mel Tucker in concert and acting swiftly and suspending them indefinitely, knowing that there's criminal investigations that are kind of the big thing. And I think from the big 10 standpoint, you know, they're handcuffed a little bit by the, by the criminal investigation. They get a little handcuffed by the, the fact that there's a, a civil lawyer now involved with Jamon green um, and, you know, complicating that matter. So, you know, what, what normally would have been, you know, a Monday or Tuesday issuance now is now deeper into the week still, you know, we don't know what the conference may do or how they may proceed from here. But I yeah, think by the time, by the school, time I think I think from at least we know from Michigan State standpoint, um, the particip- the people that are involved have the back, you know, from Alan Haller, he has the background to understand what a police investigation like this it, for something like this looks like. And yeah, and, and look, I, I think what, what I don't. Not everybody who's been suspended is has the same culpability, and I think those suspensions will be in varying lengths. Um, and you know, but and, and so it'll be interesting to see if the police investigation takes a while to play out. How long? How, how long that matters? Whether, whether the recommendations at all from the Big Ten about length of suspension um, and, or anything like that. Um, but. It, because I think that'll come obviously a lot sooner, but yeah, I do think it is. I mean, I think they made the right choice that at the very least, the people on video, even some of the people I think they were not sure about, they could tell weren't helping the situation. You know yeah. I mean? like, so you well, that's, that, it, it's important to that thing that went by us. I mean, that was um, we've seen both of those type of situations that happened you know, with players swinging helmets on in one altercation and a bunch of players, you know, going and jostling and punching and all that. stuff, We've seen that before plenty of times on a field, but the difference is there's a place to escape. There's an escape route for people that get involved in that. There's, there's room. I mean, when you're, when you're bracketed by concrete walls, that's where it becomes a little bit more of a, a problem, you know? Uh, that's where the, it's, we it's, go back yeah, into the logistics it's, it's of it. Certainly you know, different. if that's happening on the field, you know, you know, that's, you know, that it's nothing. What we saw is nothing different than what we've seen happen in games or after games. And well, the, 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 the like, swinging of a helmet is rare. And even when that happens that, on a field, it's, 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 it's rare, but it's happened. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, you right. know what I mean? I mean, we've seen it. You well, know, this, yeah, I, I this is Steelers Bengals game that that happened. Right. This isn't unprecedented. Fights aren't unprecedented. It's just. It's it's just you, you have to deal with it, um, and I, I am like I don't think the lawsuit stuff will go anywhere unless Jamon Green is willing to also sue Michigan. 
Um, because like, you, you know, one of the things not to at all, and, and I want to be careful that I don't need somebody to clip this and, and do a comparison on this. But one of the things that the Lansing State Journal, we realized early on with the, the Larry Nasser um, investigation was that that the, the, the lawsuits were going to, it was an MSU story in a large part because that's where the money was with the lawsuits, right? Like uh, that USA Gymnastics was broke. Larry Nasser doesn't have any money. So MSU was going to be a big part of things. And, and in this case, you know, the players at MSU, that, that, that's not where the money, the money is in the universities. It's at MSU. But if you're looking to go after MSU, it's on Michigan property. It's their setup, which has had issues before, um, you know, their university police force and yeah, the I, city I of Ann Arbor and the state of Michigan police that were involved in. I just don't think it goes anywhere. Yeah, I don't think it goes anywhere um, unless they're willing to really just go after everybody, you know, both universities. But uh, I just. Well, it all, and I, I think ultimately it also comes down to how did this start, too? I mean, I think that's another. What, yeah, what, what key was the component to, to this? Because what we don't know is. What triggered a helmet to be swung that we right. saw in video? Was right. there what, what was another the situation that happened before that that makes that makes that self-defense? We don't know. Um, but there's a lot of parameters that without having better video or and, and quite honestly, you know, the, the original video, what we have from a compressed Twitter file versus what the Big Ten and police have. Um, from the, the source video, well, the source video should be a lot clearer because it's, it's, it, it, depending on what kind of camera they use, it would be rendered at a higher resolution. And so yeah, they may be able to see video, something else, be a better resolution, right? Yeah. Right. So they may very well may be able to see something that triggered this and, and, you know, maybe and w- what happens if Jamon Green is, is culpable <laughs> and, and where your civil lawsuit go? Right, right. No, I, I, and I think, you know, because I, I do still have a hard time believing, and I could be wrong on this, that obviously he was an antagonist to some degree, but it could be, you know, just a little bit of taunting, which is, is nothing and, and, and should never uh, elicit any reaction to something that was uh, physical in nature, which could, uh, you know, if not, I wouldn't say justify, but. Uh, greater explain the response you know and um i so i think all that stuff we still have to find out and i i just i i find it highly unlikely from a civil point unless they're willing to go after michigan too i think if you're willing to go after both schools then uh and and i i can't based on uh tom mars's tweets to this point the uh the lawyer um doesn't seem more like that's where his head is so um i don't i don't see it going going anywhere all right. Well, uh, we can leave that discussion uh, there for now. I am sure this won't be the last time uh, we discuss it. It could be next week. Or the Big Ten announcement uh, on this is supposed to come today when we're recording on uh, Thursday afternoon here. Um, or- we're not sure. We we actually aren't sure when it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> could be today. I had heard yesterday it was going to be the day, but I think other things. I think other mitigating factors have kind of come into play with it. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the Spartans game Saturday against Illinois, and whatever we have to, whatever you guys have to say about Saturday's Michigan, uh, the actual game game, we can kind of weave into this discussion. So, you know, as we talked about in the first segment, uh, 
you know, Michigan State, who has been already going through injury issues, will be down eight players due to suspensions. Uh, a few of them starters, including Jacoby Windman and uh, I believe Zion Young and Angela Gross are both starters as well. So uh, that that it hurts that depth even more. And it is kind of just interesting how, well, they're on the road against number 14, Illinois, uh, one of the su- most surprising teams of the Big Ten, not the nation this year, but not a single person is talking about it. But uh, we're going to talk about it right now. So uh, how does Michigan State attack this game, Graham? I mean, what, how do, who's going to replace, you know, Angela Gross is going to replace uh, Zion Young, who's going to replace Jacoby Winmont? How are, how are they going to try to get this done Saturday? Yeah, that's a good question because they've got some some other injuries and, and concern. I'm not sure what exactly they go to. Um, they've gotten a little healthier at, at safety lately, which 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 should make a difference. But um, I, I think the biggest problem they have is they're facing a team that is, I mean, not just having a charm season, but really rolling like uh, a team that physically is is winning up front that that's um, salting away drives with you know a great running game that's defense has got um uh, it, it's defense is just really good i mean they've got a great corner they've got i mean they, it, it, this is a legitimately good illinois team i think there is some merit perhaps to the idea that illinois is going to deal with what michigan state did this year next year like this is year two for bielema and if you look at the number of people they're going to have to replace there is some uh they <laughs> This might just be a year, but it's not just a charm year. Like, they're really legitimately good. And um, so I don't – the weather's not supposed to be great. Um, I I think this is going to be tough. Now, I think what's more important than Michigan State winning this game for MSU is that it plays with a sense of resolve and fight that it it doesn't get – that doesn't roll over. It doesn't look like it's quit. It doesn't play into the frustration and all that's happening – and, you know, it puts up a fight because they're just facing a better team than they are right now. And so, I, you know, I have a hard time seeing a way they'd, they'd win this game. I think it's it's the usual formula for MSU. Their defense uh, without Jacoby Winman now is going to have to be um, continue to play and be improved. And having Xavier Henderson helps that. Jacob Slate helps that. All that stuff helps that. But they are shorthanded. The one, the one advantage they do have is while some of these young guys are playing better and some of these guys are – this has not been a great defense. It's not like, you know, they've lost Lawrence Taylor here. Um, when you're not a great team, it's it's the old Judd Heathcote line, right? Uh, uh, when he said the good news is it's good news and bad news. The good news is we have everybody back. The bad news is we have everybody back. I, I don't know that the talent is so great in this program that there are a ton of guys that you cannot live without. Uh, I, I think Winmon is one of those guys that hurts. I think you do get to a point depth-wise where it hurts. Um, so they're going to have to be better offensively than they've been at any point this year. They have not shown against high major competition any sort of offensive juice to the level that is going to take to win this game. I mean, even Wisconsin, keep in mind, almost half of those points against Wisconsin happened in overtime. They're going to have to be better than they've been, and that's going to rely on Peyton Thorne and those receivers and the, the offensive line to hold up. But so, I, yeah, I, I just don't see it. Well, where to begin? Um, you know, First of all, the fact that you've got eight players suspended, all of them are on defense, is one thing. Um, second, the fact that I think if you look at it, one, two, three, four of those guys are defensive ends. You know, and I'm including Winman in that because if Winman wasn't suspended, then you probably could have moved Winman down to defensive end. 
Um, then you look at Winman being suspended and how that affects the linebackers. The linebackers already were without Ben Van Summer at Michigan. So that, that takes two out of that mix. The defensive ends, they were without Jeff Petrosky and Chris Bogle. Bogle's going to be out for a while. Saw him on a, a scooter and a boot um, earlier this week. And Petrosky dressed but didn't play. So what are you going to have him at? So now you take out Zion Young, who started the last two games. Um, you take out women who could have gone down there and played. You take out Tank Brown. Um, you know, that dings the depth. So now what you've got left at defensive end are most likely Michael Fletcher, Avery Dunn, and Deshaun Mallory, who, you know, in the Wisconsin game kind of moved outside from defensive tackle. So, and then at linebacker, you've got Cal Halliday, you've got Aaron Brule, and then you're down to Ma Naoteote. And who's behind that? Well, you got Carson Castile, and you've got walk-on Sam Edwards. So that depth is destroyed right there. I mean, Kari Crump uh, didn't play. And I think, well, now you look at the back end, Kari Crump didn't play anything other than a few special teams moments, but you lose Angelo Gross at safety. I think, you know, Graham, you kind of mentioned the depth there a little bit, but the guy who probably would have gone if they played with a nickelback for him is Justin White and he's suspended too. So you're looking at a, at a couple guys there in some pretty critical depth spots. Um, you know, you, you'll probably, you know, if you had to go to a nickelback, you know, you may end up, you know, I think both Dylan Tatum and Jaden Mangum are, are possibilities there. Um, Mangum dressed for the game uh, against Michigan, but didn't play after that neck injury that he had. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, this team for a team that didn't have much depth already on the defensive side. Now you take those guys away. I mean, it's, it's going to be a challenge for Scotty Hazel. And I think it's, I think the important thing that happened there was that they had to move quickly with that so they can game plan quite honestly. I mean, you can't game plan. And if you, if you have, you know, guys on Wednesday or Thursdays getting suspended. I mean, you know, they had to rule them out early so they could figure out what was happening the rest of this week. And it's going to be a challenge for Mel Tucker and, and Scotty Hazleton because how do you, how do you, how do you, when you don't have the defensive end depth, how do you, how do you decide what kind of defense you're going to play? I mean, and you, you, you're struggling with linebackers. There's a lot of challenges, I think, that come into this. Oh, and by the way, you face the nation's number one running back in Chase Brown. Let's, let's not forget that. Um, so you have, you have to figure out how you're going to set an edge against him uh, up front, and you've already had five straight games with 100-yard rushers. So good luck. Well, it would really help Michigan State's defense if Michigan State had an offense that could run the ball or at least eat up clock for long amounts of time or long stretches. And they have shown zero ability to do that at any point this year. So that's certainly not going to happen Saturday or will it? Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I'd like to, I'd like to give you a, a quick stat on that. Uh, Michigan or excuse me, Michigan, uh, Illinois in, in time of possession ranks uh, second in the country that sounds right. at 35, 22 um, Michigan state uh ranks near the bottom 
in time of possession nationally. Um, I had some old stats up there. Uh, they are 130th out of 131 Ooh. Division One teams oh at 24-24. So you talk about a recipe for disaster, that's it right there. I mean, you, you didn't even have to have guys suspended to look at that. I mean, that's before guys were any suspended for, for Michigan State at all. And this was going to be a problem. The ability to, to not only keep the defense, get the defense off the field, but keep the offense on it. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a real issue Saturday. And if you do want to look for a bright spot on Michigan State's offense, uh, we saw another another pretty good Keon Coleman performance in Michigan Stadium on Saturday. And maybe, shoot, boy, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Maybe we you get him try to get him involved in the run game or Jaden Reed involved in the run game. And and if that's by jet sweeps or you know cleverly designed players, or whatever, then then so be it. But uh, the offense has got to come up with something to keep the ball more than twenty four minutes a game if they're going to have a chance. Yeah, on Saturday. I mean, it, what, I thought the, some interesting formations they used in that Michigan game. We really haven't talked at all about the Michigan game, right? And I don't feel like we've written it all about the Michigan game because everything that happened. Um, but they were using some interesting formations with Jaden Reed lined up in the backfield uh, in that game at times. I, they didn't really go to him to run, so I mean. You know, and I think that he and Peyton Thorne had the two longest runs of the day for Michigan State. And they, again, in that game, they struggled to run the ball, um, you know, struggled to stop the run. And, and that's and the, the time of possession in that game was was markedly swayed, too. So, I mean, you know, this these are things that have been ongoing issues throughout the year that weren't just, you know, popping up uh, in this game. Um, and it, this has been season long stuff. I mean, Michigan state's offense had the ball for 19 minutes and 27 seconds against Michigan. Mm-hmm. You're not going to win any football games like that. It was, it was very much like I, we talked about last week going into it is very much the blueprint of what Minnesota did and Illinois runs that same kind of style. So, you know, it's, if Michigan state wants to win this game or even be competitive in this game on the road against a team that's, that's got a ton of confidence, you got to have some big plays. Yeah, it it it's it sort of feels like. Do you remember that game a couple years ago against Wisconsin? I think the final was thirty-one nothing. That got finished in like under three hours. It feels like something like that could could maybe happen again here. Yeah, I mean it's it, this is it's a tough situation for Michigan State that's compounded with the the suspensions because it. I mean, you know, again on paper it looks like it could get out of hand. Uh, that. That said, the Michigan game on paper looked like it could get out of hand, and the defense bowed up and held them to five field goals. And you know, really outside, of, you know, when the bad snap by backup long snapper Michael Donovan pinned pinned them at the eight, yeah. uh, that got their second touchdown. I mean, otherwise they they held them five out of the seven scores uh, to field goals. You know, so looked you know it, it looked like it could have been much worse on paper going into that game and you know the defense played markedly better but now you know how how much of that now can you even say when you when you're replacing that many key pieces you know both from the the starting roster and the depth of it you know it's it's going to be a very very challenging situation in champagne uh, and you know, in last week's show, we talked about how the things Michigan State had to do to stay in the game, and for a half, all those things happened. But then, you know, you talked about the the bad snap, and then leading to the touchdown, things kind of really fell apart quickly for the Spartans after that. All right, well, let's move on to basketball. Then uh, the Spartans had their first exhibition game of the season on Tuesday night, taking on Grand Valley State. That was a game where. For a half, the Spartans didn't look very Spartany, and, and they were behind to Grand Valley. But in the second half, they kind of pulled things together to 
uh, win pretty comfortably. Um, obviously, these are exhibition games, so the score doesn't matter. Just like the show. Whose line is it anyway? Graham. Uh, what was your reaction for the game? I know from your column that you talked about, uh, you know, Matty Sissoko a little bit. And I think the, the, the big men, that's the kind of the area where we're all kind of looking to see who's going to step up, who's going to produce. And it seemed like you were mostly, uh, okay with what you saw from Sissoko on Tuesday night. Yeah, I think I'm going to dig a little more into this, uh, sort of a previous preseason column. Cause I do, I, I do think it's, it's, um, you know, it, it is hard to sell to what degree Matty Sissoko has improved. But he's definitely improved. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, and you don't know what that really means, other than it's good for Michigan State that he's definitely better than a year ago. But you don't really know what that means until they face the bigs they're going to see in November. And and I think, um, but and there are certain instincts he doesn't have as a player. Like he's not a natural shot blocker, even though he's a got a good you know second jump. He's got. I mean, there are things athletically he does well as a shot blocker, but it's not like he has this. Uh, this the, he's not quite as long as you think, and he doesn't have this the instinct that say a Jaron Jackson had or something like that. But um, but he's better with his hands. He's you know he, I, I think he you know I think he, he'll be okay. And I think Jackson Kohler is going to have a very interesting month because um, you know you saw him. He was said he has a lot of I don't say anxiety is the wrong word, but he was he was overhyped going in, and I, that played a role in his first half performance. So I, I'm very curious to see what uh, what his November looks like. I think he's got a, a load of skill. I think he did, he did okay defensively in terms of getting himself in, in to places and playing hard. Um, you know, he's just got some athletic limitations there that are going to also be challenges for him. So, um, but that that's a fascinating position. I think uh, Trey Holloman was was solid and and it shows he can be part of something. He doesn't try and do too much. Reminds me a little bit of. Jaden Aikens a year ago, and you know he's going to move the ball, going to push it, going to defend, um, going to try and rebound, and uh, and that'll that'll get him on the floor. I think more than maybe they anticipated, but really it's it's their core guys uh, have got to, um, and we saw in the second half they took control. But this is not a team that is good enough not to be the hardest working team out there on the floor, and they will get run off the court on nights that they're not, and if they are. I think they've got some advantages, and I think they've got some some older dudes who can uh, cause some problems. I, I, you know, I think Hogard's shot, if that continues, he hit two threes, can make a difference in how people guard him by January. So uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff. There's some, you know, it's concerning stuff. It's an exhibition game, so it's hard to tell exactly. And Izzo played around with them a little bit by not having an intense scouting report, seeing how much the team would do on their own. And I don't think they did a ton. And uh, so there were some things that you would not see in a regular season game too. To me, I, I there there wasn't an Oscar to Shibway out there on that court anywhere, and this Michigan State struggled to rebound all night, and that's that goes right to what you were saying about having to be the hardest working team on the court. They ended up plus two, and I'm not really sure how they ended up plus two because I thought that Grand Valley, which doesn't have really didn't play a guy, oh, they had a six eleven guy who really wasn't. Um, a, a huge factor on the boards, um, but they were a hard. They were outworking them, and, and you know, with guys that were like six, seven. So rebounding is going to be an issue, I, I think. That's you know, and and maybe that changes a little bit when Jaden Akins comes back, um, because he, you know, as much as he he doesn't have any idea what the the comparison means um, when it when Izzo says that he can be like Charlie Bell, I think that that's. 
Um, you know, that's certainly a, 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 a guy that can crash the boards from the wings. I think that there were some things that you saw with the, the guards, with Walker and Hogard playing together that were good, but they need more out of them. They need more out of Joey Hauser and Malik Hall, um, particularly those two guys on the on the glass. You know, Sissoko, I thought, looked okay at times. But again, you know, how, that there wasn't an Oscars of Shibway on the court. For, for them to stop and you know they that's going to be a murderer's row coming up uh with that schedule so you know it was a good i think i think the northern arizona game the, the first regular season game you know with a full prep and everything i think it'll be interesting to see how this team looks and gels uh particularly when they're not you know i think Izzo maybe did some things with his substitution patterns too that that one made it a little closer but two also put his team in in a little bit of a bind uh, compared to how he's going to have to play with like seven or eight guys when when things get real. Well, I mean, he elected not to add anybody else with the scholarship, so this is the roster that he wanted, and uh, maybe not fully wanted, but it's the roster that he decided at some point he was content with, and now you just kind of have to roll those seven or eight guys out there and, and hope uh, you don't have to play Joey Hauser at the five too much, And but he may end up having to do that anyway to put the to put the best five players on the court. Yeah. they they. I'll tell you what, to all the players I talked to, you know, I think there was a level of frustration because of how well they felt they played at Tennessee in the secret scrimmage that everybody knew about. So, I mean, I think that's, you know, if if you're a Michigan State fan and you you uh, wonder, well, geez, you know, why did they look so bad about against Grand Valley? Um, you know, there is at least some promise there. You know, it from the internal standpoint when when they're coming out of that Tennessee game feeling good and looking a little bit weird. So. All right, I think that'll do for this week. You guys have any final thoughts? Uh, I know earlier this week we talked about doing a five-hour mean tweets mean tweets episode, but we decided not to do that. And, and uh, well, although our listeners probably would have been thrilled to hear, to, to hear you guys read all all those tweets, but uh, we will not put ourselves through that kind of misery. We already experience it once in our mentions. <laughs> no, it uh, look. It could be an interesting weekend. Um, I'm I'm fired up for basketball season because I love hoops and uh, and uh, yeah so that's 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 where my uh, my my head is. All right, thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Chris Solari, at Graham underscore Couch, at Phil underscore Friend, and LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.